On today's Winning Cures Everything, Dennis Dodd steps back into Pac-12 waters again. Hugh Freeze brings up real opponents for spring scrimmages. We got a new NCAA lawsuit, college football recruiting budgets. Mike Gundy decides to talk contracts. We've got the most dad thing ever, an alligator got arrested, and a whole lot more. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Can you believe it? It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Seegers. Welcome back to Winning Cures Everything, powered by BetUS, where we talk college football news and rumors all year round. I'm Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. This is the Thursday, April 6th edition of the show. It's season 8, episode 23. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, first off, thank you. And if you would so kindly hit that like button. And uh, whether you're watching or listening to the podcast, hit subscribe so you never miss the latest tales from the college football universe. Now, my wife and I went to see Burt Kreischer last weekend. If you are not familiar, he's a stand-up comedian. He goes by the nickname The Machine. And I got to tell you, there is nothing in the world like a good comedian that can get my wife and I both just laughing hysterically. Uh, I believe that laughter is soul medicine, right? Regardless of what else is going on in your life, if, if you can get a good laugh going, being in a good mood and just laughing is the best way to cleanse your body of all the other BS uh, that's going on and, and really just enjoy life for a bit. Now, he'll be in Memphis on July 8th. Uh, I believe it's like the fully loaded festival. I intend on being there. Let me know if you guys are going to be around. If you're not in Memphis, uh, go see him, like wherever you are. The dude tours constantly, so I, I'm sure that you will be able to see him. Uh, I think it's like BurtBurtBurt.com. Uh, look at me giving out like free ads on the, on the show. But regardless, uh, go check him out. I do want to give a shout-out today to Gold and Blue Dude on YouTube. He passed away recently. He was a hilarious YouTuber. My audience and his audience seem to intersect quite a bit. Uh, he was very passionate about college football, brought a much uh, appreciated, much needed charismatic approach to the sport. Uh, so rest in peace to GBD. My thoughts are with his family right now. Uh, go go watch his stuff. Like his, The last video that his brother put up uh, kind of told everything. Uh, very interesting stuff uh, that I did not know was going on. Apparently he'd been sick for a while, but uh, he'll be missed. He will be missed in this space. Uh, reminder, we've got a live stream for the NFL Draft. Uh, myself, Chris Giannini, and, of course, the Westlot Pirates boys are going to be back on Thursday, April 27th. Uh, go ahead and make sure it's on your calendar. Get you a few uh, cool snacks. Be ready to laugh your way through the first round of the NFL Draft with us. All right, news and notes are out of the way. Let's get firing into what you guys are really, really here for. Dennis Dodd is back on the Pac-12 again this week. Now, last week, he spoke with Arizona's president, and uh, some of the more interesting notes that came out of that were that conference presidents don't have any financials yet, there's no sign that they are close to a new media rights deal, and that none of the presidents want to dive headfirst into majority streaming 
as most of them seem to believe that their next deal is still going to have a large linear aspect to it. Now, that linear versus streaming part shocked me, and it looks like Dodd thought the same thing because he went like around asking about it. Like His new article at CBS is titled, Pac-12 Unlikely to Reach Media Rights Deal with More Than 50% of Games Airing on TV, Longtime Consultant Says. It gets into a discussion with Jim Williams, of course, the media consultant and Forbes contributor that I've referenced multiple times on this show now. Uh, Williams said in the article, he said, I am at an absolute loss how NBC, CBS, ESPN, ABC, or Fox gets the Pac-12 to 50%. I don't know how anybody could sit there and assure you that we're going to have that much on linear. I don't see how they get there. And, and Williams should have an idea about this stuff. He's been doing this since 1977. He's won seven Emmy Awards as a producer, including one each for Big Ten football and basketball. He's got two for Major League Baseball. And he helped develop five different regional sports networks. Like, to put this into context, uh, the Big 12, who is really the closest conference competitor to the Pac-12, they'll have, at minimum, 70% of their games on linear television guaranteed. Now, we can argue about whether or not being on a channel like ESPNU is great exposure, Uh, But it certainly beats being behind a subscriber-based paywall on Apple TV where the only people that are going to see the game are the people that are actively looking for it, right? The reason everybody's paying attention to this Pac-12 deal is because the lack of a good deal could, of course, lead to more realignment. We've talked about it for a long time. It's widely rumored that the Pac-12 needs to get a a per-school deal that's close to the Big 12's $31.6 million in order to keep all 10 schools together. And the fact that expansion with San Diego State who just played in the college basketball national championship game, uh, that that deal has not been done yet, that just kind of throws gasoline on the fire here. Because honestly, the Pac-12 can't really offer any new members without the current members knowing what their situation is going to look like. Now again, Arizona President Robbins admitted that the presidents haven't even been presented with potential financials. Like they're working on potential future budgets based on their current deal right now, which is not a common deal. Uh, This part of the article was interesting to me, okay? Uh, It said, short of a major linear carrier, Williams sees value in both ION and the CW networks. So it said, ION, owned by Scripps Company, is a general entertainment network that is in 37 of the top 50 markets and was mentioned early in the process by Action Network as having conversations with the Pac-12. Now, the CW is majority owned by Nexstar Media Group. It's uh, the group of stations that reportedly reaches 100% of U.S. television markets It provides 14 hours of primetime programming per week. Its most notable sports property currently is Live Golf. Now, Williams said uh, that the Pac-12 could get there with ION or with CW. Uh, He said, personally, if I were talking to one of these presidents, I would have zero problem with CW. They've got legacy television stations all over the country. I've said it five or six times. Uh, If they want to prove me wrong, I'm happy. I've been proven wrong before. I'll be proven wrong in the future. Both of those two are legit broadcasters. Now, the options appear to be dwindling these days. The New York Post reported last month that ESPN once had a deal on the table for the Pac-12 that was equal to the Big 12 number, $31.6 million per school, uh, but that offer has apparently since been revoked, according to the Post. Uh, Williams said this, I think where we are right now is Apple would take a piece and maybe play with Amazon to give them a Friday night game, uh, Williams said. The trickier part is who then becomes the linear part. How are you going to be able to tell Apple yes? How do you tell Amazon yes if you've got ADs and presidents who are saying, no, no, we can't do this? Like, that's a very interesting question. Things are, are getting trickier 
for Klyovkov and the conference, uh, the presidents have, for all intents and purposes, talked themselves into a corner. Like, I don't know that it's a good thing that so many school presidents and ADs are feeling the need to come out and state that the schools are, you know, united and that things are looking good, while also publicly telling reporters their expectations for a deal that's not even here yet. Uh, again, I've said it multiple times. Uh, this is a complete disaster. I don't know how they're going to be able to wrap this all up and present whatever deal they get in a way that makes everybody happy, at least in the, in the Pac-12 world. Uh, because right now it is, whew, it's a mess. When it Cures Everything is brought to you, of course, by BetUS. With fast payouts, fantastic customer service, a myriad of options to bet on, and an easy-to-use layout, it is easy to see why it's been America's favorite online sportsbook for nearly 30 years. And right now, they'll give you 50 bucks to play with, with no deposit required. Uh, all you got to do is sign up using the link in the description. So take advantage of the deal and get signed up over at BetUS, where the game begins. All right, writer time's down. You guys know this is a one-man operation. Once upon a time, I said that college football teams should be scrimmaging against other teams in the spring. I believe, actually, Chris and I both said that on our old SBR college football show a couple of years ago. Uh, but we were talking about in-state matchups between bigger FBS programs and FCS programs. Like, over, over the last couple of years, uh, that's something that's been echoed throughout multiple college football circles. There have been just a ton of articles about it, etc. And now, Auburn coach Hugh Freeze, which, by the way, that is still weird to say. I'm still not used to that. Uh, but Hugh Freeze has bought into this. He stated at his most recent spring press conference, uh, allow us to scrimmage somebody on 8 day. Another team. I think everybody would get out of it exactly what they want. Let's have Alabama play Troy, and we play UAB or vice versa. I don't care, he said. Uh, we'll play Alabama State. People will come see that. Now, Freeze suggested donating the proceeds to charity, foster care, orphan care, any good cause. Uh, the selling point is pretty simple. It's a game against another opponent in a time when there's not a lot going on, and it's far enough away from the end of the college football season that anticipation has started building towards the next season. My initial, uh, excuse me, my initial idea for it uh, had to do with replacing FCS and small G5 games on the actual regular season schedule, like doing away with the SEC November FCS challenge and, and basically moving those to the spring. That way, those schools still get the money from you know the paycheck games, but we don't have to see them in the middle of conference season. Now that that's just from a fan perspective. I'm sure that Nick Saban and Hugh Freeze, etc., would prefer to have a breather of a game to rest some starters before the Iron Bowl or to get an extra week to let some players heal up before an SEC championship game. Uh, but truth be told, like other conferences do not do this. And it's going to be harder to justify it when the SEC moves to nine games, uh, as we all assume that they'll do. And that's at nine conference games, by the way. Uh, but these would still be scrimmages. A and you could put some rules in where both schools uh, need to pull starters after you know, the first quarter or at halftime, et cetera. There's ways to make it work. And I'm sure some coaches would love to see how the team responds in a real game situation. Uh, Andy Staples has an article over at The Athletic about the case for a true scrimmage between two teams. Uh, and this portion of that article sums, you know, a lot of the pros up. In this case, uh, the idea that helps college football advance as an entertainment product also is the idea that would help coaches achieve some of their developmental goals while also providing a way for the schools making the most money to help the schools making the least. Uh, TV networks do not want LSU Southern in the fall. 
Fans would rather see the Tigers play a Big 12 team or a Pac-12 team in that spot. The SEC uh, is about to make LSU play another conference game, uh, taking away one of the four non-conference slots. But there are some issues with it as well. Okay, now this, These are back to my thoughts. First off, there is a second transfer portal window that opens up after the spring. Like Everybody has seen NFL teams scrimmage each other before the preseason begins, and there's a fight that breaks out nearly every season. And the reason for some of those fights it is almost always based on some players going harder than others in those practices. So let's say that we do get Auburn versus Troy. Like how how much harder will some of those Troy's, you know, excuse me, some of those Troy players play if if maybe they're attempting to impress Auburn coaches that, you know, might be looking for some transfer help, right? Say you've got a good cornerback at Troy and yeah, your your room's a little thin. Uh, but you've got a guy that uh, is really wanting to show out how hard is he going to go after those Auburn wide receivers, right? Like, this is supposed to be a scrimmage. Uh, how, do you, how do you regulate that? Now, the second issue uh, would be more with, you know, uh, I guess more snaps, right, for players who, you know, starting in 2024 are going to be asked to play uh, more college football games than any teams have ever been asked to play before. Like, with a 12-team playoff coming in, you've got a possibility of teams playing 17 games in a season. Now, 17 is not likely, uh, but we are going to see some play 16. Like, it was not that long ago that we just bumped up to 15 games. And now we're talking about adding on another one for what is effectively unpaid labor. Uh, third, coaches already don't like the possibility to showing their playbook publicly before the season. Like, you're not going to get real stuff out of these games. They're called scrimmages for a reason. Anything that goes on in this game is going to be uber vanilla. And then finally, this, like, where will the expectations be set? How many big-time teams are going to be willing to actually go out and practice on ESPN against teams that they should be much better than? Like, are Alabama fans going to be able to understand the idea of a scrimmage if UAB jumps up 17-3 to in the first half? Like, look at this. What if Texas State beats Texas A&M at Kyle Field in April? Like, does the administration look at that as, you know, the decline of the program? Like, what will the national expectations be from these practice games? And you can go through just a ton of them. Let, let's, say, let's say Sam Pittman is coming into a season on the hot seat and Central Arkansas wins a spring scrimmage in Fayetteville on national television. Like, would Arkansas fire their coach in late April? It's, it's insane what could end up coming out of this. We saw what happened with the early uh, national recruiting day or national signing day. I mean, it, it sped up the hiring process like crazy. In college basketball, we see big brand schools lose exhibitions all the time, and fan bases freak out. Like Memphis lost to Christian Brothers one season. Syracuse lost to a D2 school. It adds pressure prematurely for these teams. Uh, teams that run the triple like, are, are assuredly going to get cut out of this. They're not going to be able to go and collect these checks. G5 upstarts, probably not going to be able to get those games either. Like If you're, if you're Alabama, uh, do you want to scrimmage against Troy? Like, do you want to take the risk that Troy, who's coming off of a 12-win season, uh, could come into your house and beat you in the spring scrimmage? Like, if you're Nick Saban, yeah, you're probably okay with losing in the spring, right? Like, and it, this whole thing is an interesting idea. It would be great for fans, great for TV networks that would love to have, you know, some different content in the spring, and for some coaches, a really great way to help develop their young players. But let's not forget about the drawbacks. Like, honestly, one of the best options might be to have conference scrimmages like do it home and away against teams that are not going to be on the schedule in the fall. Like it gives the ops team, the new players, et cetera, a run through on what happens on game day 
both at home and away, I'm willing to bet the NCAA would have to approve like more spring practices than just 15 in order to make that work. Uh, who knows what they'll end up doing, but I do guarantee that networks and conferences are already looking at this as an untapped potential market. Uh, we'll we'll see what ends up happening, but it was definitely interesting that you know Hugh Freeze brought this up and gave us something to talk about uh, during the springtime. Right, Auburn's eight day game, by the way, is this weekend. It is this Saturday, so. Tune in, SEC Network Plus, uh, ESPN Plus, all that good stuff. On the other side, the NCAA is facing a new lawsuit. Uh, We're going to talk about the recruiting budgets in college football. Mike Gundy talks about contracts, which is just awesome. Uh, We've got the perfect dad story, an alligator gets arrested. Yeah, you heard that right. And a whole lot more. Let's check out some things you should know about. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, expert game analysis only on the BetUSTV College football channel. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And now, back to the show. The NCAA is going back to court to defend themselves again. Uh, but this time, like, I'm, I'm actually curious about it, right? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of cases I really don't care about. But this one I'm, I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Uh, Ross Dellinger has a story over at SI.com. It's titled, NCAA Faces New Multi-Million Dollar Lawsuit. And this story details a class action suit against the NCAA and the five Power Five conferences with... Former Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard and Auburn track athlete Kira McCarroll listed as plaintiffs. Now, the lawsuit was filed in the Northern District of California, which makes sense because California is where all these different suits and bills have been done to help uh, you know, benefit athletes. Uh, for example, uh, the first bill to legalize NL, or excuse me, NIL, uh, you've got another case that's seeking revenue sharing from TV deals, etc. There's a lot going on out there. So the details on this one, per Dellinger, uh, it says, the case seeks triple damages on behalf of current and former Division I college athletes for uh, injuries sustained, or excuse me, for injuries suffered from rules found to be unlawful in the Austin litigation. Uh, the NCAA lost that Austin case 9 to nothing in the Supreme Court. I'm sure you all remember us talking about it. Uh, but it required the association to allow schools to distribute as much as $5,980 a year to athletes in education-related compensation. Since the June, 2020, uh, June 2021 Supreme Court ruling, at least 50 programs are doling out the Austin funds to athletes, attorneys say. All right, so let's kind of break it down. What, let's talk about what are the specifics. Uh, the story says that attorneys contend that at least 5,000 athletes are owed two years of back Austin payments from 2018 and 19 and 2019 and 20, but that number could climb to more than 20,000 athletes putting damages at a minimum of $200 million 
and as much as $1 billion. Uh, This is another way to bring justice to the NCAA victims, says Winston and Strawn co-executive chairman Jeffrey L. Kessler. Now, the lawyers are in the middle of performing depositions, and they're collecting NIL figures from individual schools to ascertain damages owed to athletes. They say that uh, the numbers are large and that there's been no harm for consumer interest or competitive balance. Uh, And you guys know that I have problems with the NCAA. There is a lot that is wrong with an organization that has a mission statement that states uh, that they are a member-led organization focused on cultivating an environment that emphasizes academics, fairness, and well-being across college sports. They were originally created with a mission statement that they were going to protect athletes or student-athletes. That was their whole point, was to protect student-athletes. I got issues with them, and you guys know that. They are well-documented here. But when you really look at this, and I'm curious your thoughts. Toss them in the comments on YouTube. I, I don't get how this is going to work. Like, I understand them attempting it, right? Chuba Hubbard had a monster season in 2019. He ran the ball over 300 times. He had over 2,000 rushing yards. Uh, but he never got to, to make that big NIL money. He's going into the third year of a four-year, $4.2 million contract with Carolina Panthers. It's not like he's hurting for money. But he could have made a significant amount in Stillwater as a superstar for that Cowboys team back in 2019. But him not making NIL money in 2019, is that really the NCAA's fault? Like, if so, why are they only going back to 2018? Like, is it because of the timing of the Austin case? Like, I, I don't see a way for them to hold the NCAA accountable for businesses or collectives not giving Hubbard money back then. Like, how do you really know what the market value is for specific players? On top of that, they're trying to get NIL figures from individual schools. And I got questions here, right? Players that go to Oklahoma State are not going to make the same as a player that goes to Texas A&M or Tennessee or one of these schools that had a, a huge collective already established, Right. Like even further, NIL is not supposed to be pay for play. And that's that's what we've been screaming on the show for two years. The numbers that you're seeing right now are not an established real life number. The market has not had time to correct itself. So trying to fight for market inefficiency is it's borderline insane. Like I don't know how a court is gonna be able to rule on something that's not even cemented yet. Uh if you want to go back to you know, those Austin payments where the school can provide educational benefits up to 5900 bucks. Okay, but those are educational benefits. It's not just like a cash payment in most cases. Like, I'm, I'm a little confused and, and extremely curious uh, about what happens here. Uh, they're saying that the damages are between $200 million and a and billion dollars. Like, if this case goes forward... It it legitimately could be the end of the NCAA, which a lot of people would look forward to. But just imagine the sports of college football and college basketball if they had zero rules. Like something else is going to take its place. Uh, and sometimes the grass isn't always greener. So we'll we'll see what happens. But geez, this is uh this is a big one. A big one. Let's see. Of course, writing down the times, you guys know me. Shihan Jaraja has a story over at CBSSports.com about college football recruiting expenses. And (laughs) boy, if you really wanted a detailed look into why certain teams are successful and why others are not, this is the story for you. Uh, I would highly recommend that you go to CBSSports.com and check it out. 
Uh, the story goes conference by conference through the recently released, uh, or I guess the recently USA Today obtained records. Uh, private schools not included in this, obviously. They're not subject to FOIA requests. It details what schools spent on recruiting in 2022 and what they've averaged between 2017 and 2022. So let's let's go on and break it down. We'll be quick with it. Uh, the top 10 in average recruiting spending uh, are as follows. Georgia, uh, averaging $2.75 million per year. Alabama, averaging $1.9 million per year. Uh, Tennessee, averaging $1.78 million per year. Boy, I'm just making all kind of racket in here. Uh, Clemson, averaging $1.66 million. Uh, Texas A&M, number five, 1.56 million. Michigan, averaging 1.35 million. Oklahoma, 1.30 million. Texas, 1.30 million. Uh, Florida State, 1.26 million. And Penn State, number 10, coming in at 1.24 million. All of those make absolute sense. Florida State this year only spent $899,000. So their average has dropped. I'm curious if they're going to boost that going forward, although Norvell has seemed to find something that works with the transfer portal so far. Uh, Georgia spent $4.5 million in 2022. Clemson spent $3.3 million trying to get back to what they were just a few years ago. Uh, Georgia, pointing them out again, they have spent a fortune boosting their recruiting efforts. They are the gold standard right now because Kirby Smart realizes, and he learned this from Nick Saban, that the number one factor in winning championships and just winning football games, period, is having the best players on the field. Now, which schools are getting the most bang for their buck? Who's being the most efficient? Uh, LSU is number 14 in average recruiting spend while averaging the number 7.17 recruiting class over the last six years. Ohio State, they are number 21 in average spend while they bring in the average number 3.67 class from 2017 through 22. Uh, Let's talk about efficient, right? I mean, this is eventually the Buckeyes are going to have to boost that back up. Winning does pay for itself for a while, but two straight losses to Michigan. That means two straight seasons without a Big Ten title. Uh, they're going to have to boost it up soon. So look look for that. Ohio State spent $1.3 million in 2022 uh, on recruiting. Michigan spent $2.24 million. Uh, this is not exactly common. If they, I, I would imagine that we will see a push uh, towards more of a recruiting budget, but we'll, we'll see. The biggest thing that I took from this article was which schools have not been putting in as much towards recruiting that uh, definitely should, right? Number one on the list to me was Nebraska. They are number 15 in the country in average spend, uh, but I think they should be top five. I mean, you're, you're located in a place where it's difficult to get talent. Um, some of that, I'm sure, has to do with the fact that they knew even two years ago that they were going to have to make a coaching change. Like, I would be shocked if Matt Rule does not boost that number up significantly. Uh, but Nebraska, you're going to have to travel. You're going to have to recruit nationally if you want to bring in good talent. It's just the way that it goes there. Uh, staying in the Big Ten, Wisconsin is the only Power 5 team that averages spending less than $400,000 a year on their recruiting budget. It, it kind of makes it easy to understand why they had to move on from Paul Christ. But at the same time, you want to talk about efficiency? Like, how impressive is it that they were able to win so many games in that time span with the lowest public recruiting spend in the Power Five? That is just insane. Uh, Mississippi State, next to last in Power Five recruiting spend. Whether that's because they focus on in-state talent or JUCOs, et cetera, uh, that's going to have to be boosted up eventually. 
uh, because they are they are getting lapped in the SEC. Uh, Arizona State and Iowa, they're number 48 and number 49 out of 52. Those fan bases are incredibly different, but both programs have pretty high expectations. Iowa and Kirk Ferentz winning as much as they do, similar to Wisconsin, while spending basically nothing on recruiting. It's just another example of efficiency here. And finally, to close this out, the worst example of spending with nothing to show for it, I mean, it's got to be Rutgers, right? The Scarlet Knights are number 17 in the country in average spend. That's higher than number 18 Utah, Auburn, North Carolina, Ohio State at 21, and Iowa State at 22. Yes, surprisingly, the Cyclones are number 22 here. Greg Schiano has at least made the program competent since he took over. So maybe that money is not being spent in vain. Maybe. Uh, but at the end of the day, this shows which teams care and which teams put everything they can into winning and some others that are just okay with where they are. Like my takeaway from this, Nebraska and Wisconsin are going to be the most fun to watch going forward. How high are their numbers going to go with that new Big Ten deal? Like, how important will they take recruiting going forward? A lot of questions brought up from this, but uh, the numbers are interesting. Go on and check out the article over at uh, CBS Sports. Quick reminder for me, go ahead and hit that like button. Uh, Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. This is a one-man operation. I've mentioned it before. Uh, But every like, every subscribe, every every podcast review, every share, uh, that all really helps me out, along with picking up something from the merch store. You guys saw the hat in the last episode. Uh, you can get one of those, a bunch of T-shirts, uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, it's it's over at winningcureseverything.com. I think if you're on YouTube, you can see the store uh, down below us. Uh, yeah, you can definitely see it on the screen right now, but go ahead and check it out. Check out the merch store, et cetera. It helps fund this, this crazy operation that I got going here. All right, let's talk about Mike Gundy for a second. Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy made news last week with an idea to help curb some of the latest issues with NIL, uh, the transfer portal, etc. Oklahoma State lost eight offensive transfers, eight defensive transfers, and three walk-ons. That's 19 total players. They also brought in 13 transfers, and we haven't even gotten to the spring portal window. So Gundy, who, of course, has had to deal with a lot of roster turnover the last two years, he told reporters... And I'm going to go on and quote him here, so here you go. He said, well, you got several issues there. One, you have federal lawmakers making decisions, not the NCAA. And you know as well as I do. Well, I don't know if you do. I read a lot of politics. But lobbyists and things happen for a reason, and that's just the way it is. You're not going to control them. They're going to control you. And until we get contractual scholarships in high school recruiting, the portal is never going to settle down. For example, Young men should be able to sign a one, two, three, or four-year scholarship. That's their choice. Whatever they sign, that's what they're committed to. That's what we're going to. Uh, that's what we're going to do now. That's the only way uh, that we're going to have a chance to manage rosters. So let's just say that at the end of the year, I've got 19 guys whose contracts are up. Uh, which, by the way, I find it very interesting. He used that number since he lost 19 players to transfer. Uh, but he said they may be a senior or a freshman. So if you've got a five-star guy, like you're heavily recruited, you might just sign a one-year deal and say, well, I'm good enough to sign another one-year deal, or I can leave if I want. Before we get to the rest of what he said, I I think what he's saying is interesting. It was, it was just about 10 years ago that Nick Saban's processing of his roster was made to be a huge deal, and schools ended up switching to a guaranteed four-year scholarship rather than a year-to-year deal that actually holds the student-athlete somewhat accountable. 
Now, all the players have all the leverage these days. But we'll, we'll go back to Gundy's quotes here. He said, until they do that, we don't really know who's in and who's out for that upcoming year, so it's hard for us to balance our numbers. He said, I've suggested modifications. I don't know if anybody's listened or cares, but high school kids ought to have an opportunity. So you want a four-year deal? Sign a four-year deal, but you're bound to that four-year contract unless your head coach says he'll sign off and let you go. And then, of course, that puts more pressure on the head coach, but at least it gives the young man a chance to leave if he comes in and says, Coach, I'm not good enough to play here. I want to go to this school. He said, I sign off and let him go, or whatever reason. But that's the only way they're going to be able to manage numbers, in my opinion. That would slow the portal down. So basically, does a player bet on himself and sign up for one year, or does he want the security of a four-year scholarship? This sounds an awful lot like an employment contract. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> and that's one of the things that they're, they're trying to get away from. Uh, players used to have to sit out for a year if they wanted to transfer. And you want to talk about slowing things down, like most players did not want to sit out a year. But now, with NIL being an option, like we've already heard of situations where players effectively hold a school hostage, right? Unless they adhere to like a list of demands, you know, money, helping family out with school or whatever, et cetera. Like Gundy strikes me as the kind of guy that won't put up with that kind of crap. Uh, so the question is, what is the right method? Like, is there anything actually broken with the way that it's done right now? Yes and no, right? I could be swayed both ways on this. Like, people do have a lot of different opinions on it. I'm curious your thoughts. Like, toss them in the comments. I I would love to hear what you guys are thinking about this uh, because it's it's got me twisted in a pretzel. Guys, I'm, I'm a little confused as to what the best option would be here. All right, a couple of weeks ago in a story on Measure E at sjvsun.com, Fresno State President Saul Jimenez Sandoval uh, reportedly confirmed the rumors that the Big 12 is interested in Fresno State, saying that the conference would like to add a strong West Coast brand to its ranks. I'm sure a lot of you are not surprised by this. We've been talking about those rumors for quite some time on this show. I'm sure a lot of you that don't live in California, however, would love to know about Measure E, uh, which appears to be the key to boosting Fresno State's athletic department. Uh, Measure E is a sales tax initiative uh, that would benefit academics and athletics projects at Fresno State. Now, this failed to pass last November by a 52.86% to 71.14%. Uh, excuse me, 47.14% vote. Uh, now, it's only got to be a simple majority to be enacted, and the effort to push the measure next year is already in the works. So now we got to ask, like, what's in this tax initiative, right? Uh, the one last year was a 0.2% sales tax countywide, 20-year term. Uh, it was projected to bring in $36 million annually for a total of $720 million. That has now been upped. So even though it failed last time, it's now been upped due to some of the, the state laws in California based on, like, one-eighth or... Whatever it is, you can go read it for yourself. But uh, it's been up to 0.25% sales tax over a 25-year term. And the new numbers are $56.1 million annually and $1.403 billion total. Two-thirds of this would go toward academic facility improvements, uh, programs, and scholarships. The remaining third would be allowed to be used for athletics projects like renovating the aging Valley Children's Stadium. Uh, the list of potential projects at Fresno State include, of course, $160 million for the stadium, along with $80 million for deferred maintenance, $47 million for modernizing their Duncan Athletic Center, and other things, of course, a new concert hall, expanding the engineering college, uh, 
uh, more affordable student housing, endowments, et cetera, right? Now, Fresno State, they've already got their equestrian program in the Big 12. There's already a connection there. And now, of course, the latest is that the mayor of Fresno has been sending letters to the mayors of cities in the Big 12 footprint, campaigning for the Big 12 to invite Fresno State if they decide to expand. Now, they used Fresno State's past national titles in baseball and softball, along with, of course, recent football success as their selling points. But here's my question. What role do mayors have in conference expansion? Like, I suppose that all support is needed in a situation like this, and getting mayors on your side definitely couldn't hurt. But at the end of the day, it's the school presidents that are, that are going to be voting on this, and I do suppose most of them likely have a relationship with the mayor of the town and whichever school is you know, or whichever town their school is located in. Um, but I, I'll tell you this. I, I hope that this guy has been sending letters to presidents in the Pac-12 as well, or I guess mayors of the towns in the Pac-12, because uh, Fresno State's P5 dreams are reliant on what happens with the Pac-12 media rights. Like either the Pac-12 gets their media rights deal done and none of the current schools move over to the Big 12, thus providing Fresno State an option as the West Coast option for uh you know, your marketing company, or the Pac-12 deal is weak, a couple of the schools move to the Big 12, and the Pac-12 has to backfill with current Mountain West schools. I don't, I don't think there's any movement on this anytime soon because I don't think that Fresno is viewed as a school that somebody needs to pick up immediately for fear of missing out, right? Like, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but all of this talk where Fresno is really sprucing it up, it, it feels very similar to San Diego State kind of putting out, hey, you know, we're talking to the Pac-12. It's like, yeah, we get it. Like, we know that you're the next best option. But, like, we, we understand what has to happen here for you guys to get to that next step. So, we'll see what ends up happening with uh, with Fresno State. But there has been a lot of talk recently about them. Did you guys watch the national championship game on Monday? Uh, UConn won the basketball national championship it was their fifth in the last 25 years, and that includes a seven-year period where they moved to the AAC, mostly for football purposes when the Big East split up. Uh, and I know what you're thinking. Like, where are you going with this, Gary? Like, what does this have to do with college football? I'm going to tell you. Uh, money isn't everything if it keeps you from being good at something you love. Right? And I feel like this has been said. A lot of articles about this. Hey, UConn got back right with the uh, Big East. Now they won a national title, da 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 and it's all true. Like, UConn's athletic history on the national level is basketball. In 2013, the Big East changed its name to the AAC. Like, that that conference has the structure and the football history of the original Power Six Big East all-sports conference. The new Big East doesn't sponsor football, but it's it's effectively a different conference. UConn joined the AAC in the split. They took the media money for football and, and in the process effectively ostracized their their basketball program. Now, Kevin Ollie, of course, I'm sure some of you guys remember him if you paid attention to football, uh, or excuse me, basketball at all. He went 127 and 79 overall. That included 59 and 49 in AAC play. Dan Hurley went 35 and 29 and 16 and 20 in the AAC. Now, that's a total of 75 and 69 in the AAC. Now, Hurley, now that they've returned to the Big East, he's gone 37 and 19 since they rejoined back in 2020. UConn took the football money and joined the AAC thinking it would be better overall for their athletic department. But after seven years of not great results at, at really any level, 
they decided to go independent football and rejoin the Big East in a lot of the other sports. Now, in basketball, the sport that their fans care the most about, they have traditional rivalries again. They're thriving in a sport that they have the ability to compete in nationally. Basically, what I'm trying to say is sometimes the grass isn't always greener. Like, Maryland was competitive in the ACC. Syracuse basketball fits better in the Big East. It feels like a fish out of water in the ACC. Rutgers, that was another Big East team that had success. They're a joke in the Big Ten. Like, would Missouri be more competitive in the Big 12? Like, they'd certainly fit better there than in the SEC. It's still completely weird, right, to see Missouri play Georgia and Florida in basketball and football every year. Nebraska, I mean, if we are going to be honest with ourselves, they should be playing Big 12 teams. It's kind of the same with Colorado, who honestly should be playing Nebraska every year. Like, UConn is the example of the team that went back to their original conference for less money and the fan base is happier while the athletic department is seeing more success. Like UConn, if I'm not mistaken, they make around $3.79 million a year in the Big East media rights deal uh, right now, while the AAC was paying them over $8 million a year. Like winning, at the end of the day, is more fun than just taking checks. It just is. I, I'm, I'm expecting fully to see some football-only conferences eventually. Uh, but man... Like, this is just, it, it's nuts to see it because you now have a living, true example of a team that went back to the original conference because they weren't as happy in the football conference. Strange. All right. You guys know that I like to talk about crazy stories that I find on the internet towards the end of the show. <sighs> this one, it, it got me. Apparently, there is a TikTok that went viral of a dad that accidentally put a beer in his child's lunchbox for school. And honestly, if that ain't the most dad thing ever, I don't know what is. First off, cheers to the dad for actually getting the kids lunch together. Like, that's a big thing. Like, I know firsthand there are a lot of kids that have to eat the school lunch every day. They got to go through the tray line and whatnot, regardless of whether it's gross or it's something they don't like, etc. They got to go through the tray line. This guy was making his lunch. Cheers to him. Uh, he had to go up to the school because in a rush, he put a can of beer in with the lunch rather than the can of water. And, and man, when you see the cans, they look strikingly similar. <laughs> like, one, one is a Guinness drought. The other is a liquid death sparkling water. Now, both of them are black cans with gold brand logos. It's very easy to mistake. I love when people share this kind of stuff. All right, it makes me feel like maybe a little less of a screw up, or that at least there's other people making mistakes as well. Like you can search this dude out; he's at Money Man Myers on TikTok, or honestly, you could just Google "dad puts beer in lunchbox." Uh, it's an absolutely classic dad mistake. Uh, and as a dad, I appreciate the honesty. I I really do. Go and check this guy out. I mean, it it had me rolling, absolutely rolling. Uh, and speaking of absolutely rolling. This next video had me howling. Uh, this is from the AP officer's arrest. Uh, like, uh, hold on. It's from the AP. The title of this thing is Officer's Arrest Alligator Walking Near Tampa Bay Stadium. Like, guys, the cops were called near Raymond James Stadium as the home of the Bucks, right, last Wednesday night because a nine-foot alligator was just moseying down the street in a pretty populated area. There were like six officers, a whole crowd of people watching, 
And you could see all of this on the body cam footage. Now, the lead officer had a yellow rope he used to fashion a noose. He lassoed it around the top of the alligator's mouth, and they legit jumped on this alligator. Like, one jumped on its body to weigh him down, another went for the head, and they duct-taped the dude's mouth shut. And not the dude, but the gator. Uh, and, and a third was called over to weigh down the alligator. Like, the craziest part is they taped together the gator's legs like they were handcuffing this thing. Uh, Phil Walters, who is an alligator trapper, and he's contracted with, you're going to love how long the name of this organization is, it's the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission Nuisance Alligator Program. Try to say that nine times fast, right? He was called in to assist the officers, and, and he said that he was impressed with the job done by Tampa's finest before he arrived at the scene. He said they did a great job. Uh, they had that thing taken care of for me. It's like, it's always nice when somebody else does your job, right? Uh, but man, like, you've got to go look this up. They legit arrested this alligator for walking down the street. Like, I got to tell you, there is no chance, even as a police officer, that I am jumping on an alligator or trying to duct tape its mouth shut. And I'm leaving that thing to dudes that know what they're doing. I am confident enough in my masculinity that I don't need to be down on the street trying to wrestle a damn alligator. Like, you can forget it. But that was, it had me howling. Howling. All right, that's going to wrap up this edition of When It Cures Everything. Again, if you haven't already, click that like button for me. Make sure you are subscribed to the channel and, of course, to the podcast. Remember the goal. I'm trying to get to 10,000 subscribers this year. Also, make sure and jump in the comments. I want to know what you guys think about everything that we discussed today. Uh, I've started tossing some video clips on TikTok and on YouTube Shorts. So if you want to follow me on TikTok, you can do that at GaryWCE. It's the same as Twitter and Instagram, all that. Uh, make sure that you get signed up over at BetUS. You guys know it's where the game begins. And of course, as always, if there is something that you want me to talk about on the show, feel free to hit me up. Again, it's at GaryWCE on Twitter, or you can email me, Gary at winningcureseverything.com. Or as I mentioned, you can always toss it in the comments or leave it in a podcast review on Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. All right, I hope you all have wonderful weekends. Happy Easter, all that fun stuff. Until next time, take care of yourself, take care of each other, God bless college football, and hopefully all of your master's tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE. And the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.